Hi, this is Mark Iskowitz, Editor-at-Large for MMM, and welcome to the MMM Marketers at Home podcast, where we hear how marketers are adjusting to the altered promotional landscape. My special guest today is Megan Rivera, recently appointed Chief Marketing Officer at, at Kili Interactive, after a two-decade career on the terrestrial side, if you will, of pharma as a digital marketer. We'll talk about uh, the reasons behind her move uh, and how the launch is going uh, for Achilles' first commercial product. But first, some housekeeping items, as we usually do on this podcast. Uh, a couple of uh, MMM events are uh, recently have been launched. One is our 40 Under 40 contest. Another is our holiday contest, uh, an annual tradition. Uh, you can read more about those on our site, mmm-online.com. Now back to our uh, regularly scheduled interview with special guest Megan Rivera. Uh, Megan, how you doing? Great, considering the circumstances, of course. But uh, thanks so yeah. much for having me. Excited to be here. Absolutely. Yeah, it's uh, it's a difficult time, obviously, with uh, the pandemic um, spiking around the country and uh, the grim death toll um, approaching or actually crossing a quarter million. We look forward uh, to, to brighter days ahead. Um, because this is the Marketers at Home podcast, I have to ask you how you're faring under the lockdown and, uh, you know, what's getting you through? You know, I think one of the uh, the main things I admire about you is your positive outlook. How, how do you maintain that outlook under these stressful conditions? Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. I think uh, there's probably a number of things, right? I uh, I do uh, a lot of things related to physical activity. Uh, there's definitely some restrictions to how much we all move on a daily basis now. So uh, so I pour all of my uh, energy into my morning workouts and uh, and try to stay active. It's a great stress reliever. Um, and, and really, it's just about creating kind of a, a bit of a new normal um, and, you know, embracing the flexibility that this provides you not having commutes and kind of as structured of a schedule. Um, and you know what, like Zoom happy hours with my girlfriends <laughs> from, you know, college with uh, with colleagues, uh, past and present. It's it's been really nice to be able to catch up with people on a, on a personal level that maybe you didn't have time to or didn't think to in the past. So. That's that's how I've been uh, muscling through and uh, and keeping things on the up and up. Sounds like a good recipe uh, for uh, for getting through. Uh, okay, so um, you were appointed chief marketing officer at Achille in October, but before that, you enjoyed a twenty year career with such pharma companies as Amag and Beringer Ingelheim, mostly on the digital marketing side. Uh, yeah. Tell us about your climb and what you learned from those experiences. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I kind of see my career. Um, in three chunks or three phases. And, and way back when, uh, right out of college, I, I got into the pharmaceutical industry uh, on the industry side or the client side, depending on, uh, on how you call it. But, um, but that, that part of my career was primarily focused in the operational side of things and, and the sales side. Um, and I think that laid a really nice foundation for me to enter into uh, marketing and then ultimately uh, some more commercial leadership roles. Um, but spent a lot of time there, uh, probably the first third of my career, um, and then really got an, a chance to expand my horizons into the marketing and creative world of advertising um, and got a chance to work with some really incredible creative agencies uh, and some some truly uh, unmatched talent uh, on the uh, on the advertising side um, and got a really nice breadth of experience across therapeutic areas and different uh, types of business, uh, different launches, et cetera. Um, and then I think the last part of my career was really um, was re has really been about growing into more senior commercial leadership roles where I've had the opportunity to lead not just brand marketing or digital marketing, um, but truly owning the entire end to end customer experience 
uh, from a sales and marketing perspective. Yeah, that's probably really satisfying to be able to control things end to end. <laughs> yes, absolutely, absolutely. It's uh, it's certainly a, a refreshing um, change to maybe what what I've experienced in the past, um, and and in trying to influence that from from arm's length. Um, but yeah, I think you know, related to just kind of my growth over the course of the last you know nineteen years or so, which is I have to say a little bit painful to admit. Um, I uh, you know now coming back to the industry side uh, over the course of the last, I guess it's been about seven or so years. Uh, I really, I think, realized how important it was to find an organization that um, allowed or or embraced. Um, wanting to take, you know, measured risk or take chances in, in work, right? Um, and, and finding organizations that allowed us to think about things differently uh, and build teams that maybe didn't look exactly like your vanilla, you know, pharmaceutical marketing or sales team, I think really uh, has become a priority uh, across my career. Culture fit is so much more important than I think people realize because it really uh, allows you to grow um, and uh, finding an organization that's willing to take a risk on you and sees, you know, some of your strengths and uh, believes that you can uh, take on more than maybe uh, you have done in the past, I think has been uh, really beneficial for me. And, and AMAG was a great example of that. I had three different roles there of increasing responsibility in a couple years. And, um, and, you know, I don't know that that would be um, a chance that, you know, a larger global pharmaceutical company would take um, on an individual like me with some pretty interesting and, 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 and diverse background. Well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, just yeah. prior to joining Achille, as you mentioned, you were running the women's health business for AMAG, where you launched brands Intrarosa for VVA and Vilisi for low female libido. That was very rewarding work. So yeah. why leave AMAG uh, at that time? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I, 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 up until that point, had had always said that AMAG provided me um, the most rewarding uh, work of my career, uh, personal connection just to women's health. I mean, obviously, being a woman um, and it being an underserviced category, um, you know, across the board was just a tremendous opportunity. Um, and I just, I had so much love for the team that we were able to build there, for the brands we were able to build there. Um, but frankly, I mean, it, it wasn't necessarily. Um, a choice for AMAG. Uh, they decided to divest uh, the women's health business unit um, that I oversaw uh, back in January of this year. And, you know, there's just, uh, it happens, right? You know, change in corporate priorities, activist investors coming in and, you know, uh, overturned seats on the board. And there's just, you know, a desire to, to gain more focus. And ultimately they, they recently were, uh, I think they closed the acquisition. They were bought, um, this year, but that was the end game. That's what they wanted to do to increase shareholder value. So for me, it was, you know, it, it was a bit of a heartbreak to build uh, such a stellar commercial organization and then to dismantle it. But, um, but I'm, I'm grateful for the work that we got to do there. It's absolutely, it was game changing. Right. Um, and admittedly, I, uh, I wasn't sure I was going to find something that I had so much connection to and so much heart for, um, and so, you know, I began the search around mid-year and just was so fortunate to um, be introduced to the Achilles team because, I mean, what a tremendous opportunity to legitimately like reshape how the world thinks about medicine. Um, that's mm -hmm. next level. So that's that's been um, it's it, I'm very, very, very thankful for uh, for 
being able to uh, to find something equal, if not even more uh, motivational for me to work on. Yeah, that, that's what it's all about, right? Keep keeping you motivated, this, taking on this next challenge in your career. And, you know, yeah. we, we talked about your your launch of Interosa and Vilesi, uh for an article that we just collaborated on for MMM. Um, and, and in terms of how pharma is uh, integrating telemedicine more with its promotional ecosystem, right? And so yeah. readers can can access that on the site and, and, and read your views on that. But, you know, it, let's let's segue to the new role. You know, you're going to be launching Achilles Prescription Video Game, Endeavor RX, the company's first commercial product, which was granted FDA clearance on, in June. And the app actually launched on April 22nd, thanks to FDA having waived its usual 510K pre-market notification requirement for digital therapeutics, which was one of a number of emergency policies the agency issued during the pandemic. So, you know, that was a, a soft launch, if you will. But what did Achille learn about physician and patient experience from getting its product out to, into the field somewhat early? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think a lot. <laughs> um, and certainly it's a it's a blessing to learn before, you know, you're you're prepared to really bring a product through to a commercial launch. So um, I personally am, am incredibly uh, thankful that we had the opportunity and we have uh, so much data that we can collect um, on on exactly how that went. I'll say the first learning um, that I, of course, had when I started having some conversations with these guys over the summer was that, holy cow, this team pulled off a, a product release in that short of amount of time. <laughs> oh my gosh, like this is just unheard of. I mean, uh, they turned that around and made some crazy things happen uh, to get um, to get Endeavor X on, into the, well, at the time Endeavor um, into the market rather quickly. I think a couple of things that were learned uh, rather rapidly, which was the interest in this particular product offering is tremendous. So without, you know, any investment in anything related to, you know, customer acquisition or awareness, you know, there are people lining up um, for the product, uh, which was to me incredibly compelling um, that there is uh, there's a multi-billion dollar market out there in ADHD, right? And uh, there's clearly still some pretty significant unmet need uh, seeing that. And then I think the other thing that we, we were able to, to learn was really that experience is paramount, right? I mean, digital therapeutics are an interesting space because they are all about the experience, the experience with, you know, acquiring the actual, you know, therapeutic itself, the experience interacting with the product. I mean, it's it's really um, it's really important, uh, at least for us at Achille, to perfect that experience and make sure that we're providing uh, the best possible experience across our customers, but also uh, across our patient population and what they're experiencing with uh, with our brand. It's a it's a super interesting space, um, and and the fact that you can iterate on a product that's on the market is just tremendous, right? I mean, you're you're legitimately collecting data real time as people are using your product, and you can assess what is working and what might need to be optimized, and continue to just improve your platform uh, for the better, which is obviously not something uh, that we're used to in, uh, in the typical therapeutics world in pharma and such. So, right. And in, in the typical therapeutics world in pharma, you put the product out there mm -hmm. and, uh, you know, you, it, it is what it is, but one of yeah. the neat things about DTX is that you can improve your product in real time based on the evidence you get back on how it's being used. Uh, can you share any of the ways you've made it better since April? Yeah, I mean, I think from an onboarding experience perspective, we're absolutely looking at, you know, the most seamless uh, ways to provide kind of clarity and ease of access to the product. 
I, but there's also the engagement side of things, right? So, so what about the game itself is the most engaging to our users? Where are we seeing the highest rates of what you would consider to be, I guess, compliance and persistency, right? Um, and I think that we're able to really make those changes, uh, whether it's, you know, creating new worlds within the game environment or adding enhancements to particular components of it. Um, we also, as a part of our product offering, have what we consider to be really a care ecosystem. So there is, you know, a companion app, there's a dashboard. So we're able to improve those things as well so that parents or caregivers can really assess you know, a child's use uh, of the game, make sure that they're getting the most out of their investment um, in Endeavor RX. And I think that that being able to collect all of that data real time and be able to enhance experiences, not just with the game, but also with what we're providing um, folks along with that uh, that therapeutic has been um, has been really, really valuable for us. And so, as you mentioned, when during the soft launch, it, it, it didn't need a doctor's prescription, but now that it's been formally approved, it does, right? Yep, absolutely. So we have uh, we we require that prescription. Of course, with the COVID release, we did not require a prescription at that time. So really, anybody could gain access to uh, to the product. But with the with the clearance, we now um, we now have a prescription process in place um, that we uh, that we believe is seamless enough to to really provide access and. You know, to your earlier point about um, integrating telemedicine and virtual medicine into promotional ecosystems, of course, that can play a really huge role for this as well uh, as we move into that commercial launch phase of things. Yeah, great, great segue. So, you know, it was a very speedy rollout earlier, but I'm sure the next one is going to be much more methodical. You're a strategic marketer, comfortable with a test and learn style of promotion. Can you give us a sneak peek into any of the tactics you'll be using and, and when do you plan to formally launch? Yeah, yeah. So I can tell you this, it won't be traditional, right? I mean, we're, we're basically reimagining the entirety of the commercial model, which is part of why um, this opportunity for me personally has been so, so, so exciting. It's a blank slate, right? Um, and I think we have the opportunity to, to launch a digital therapeutic into the market and prove out that we can be incredibly successful in the short term. Um, and to your point, this testing and learning, I mean, one of the things that I think made me really thrilled about related to Achille and the culture there was that they are absolutely all in on experimentation and testing and learning and iterating. I mean, you see it in our product offering, right? Um, why wouldn't you do exactly that same thing with your commercial model? So I think what we'll be doing is exploring, you know, how, how do we think about things differently, right? We don't necessarily need a sales team of several hundred people knocking on healthcare provider doors. Like, we, has anybody tested that model? Like, wh why wouldn't we be exploring how to, how to um, manage and, and build a sales function in a different kind of way, uh, especially given COVID times? But I would argue, really, um, even outside of COVID, uh, when things maybe um, come back to at least a new normal following uh, following a vaccine, but yeah, I think it's uh, I think it's going to be uh, something that that the world hasn't necessarily seen before, even from other uh, PDT prescription digital therapeutics companies. Um, and I think what we'll be doing is is really understanding what's working and what's resonating with the market and scaling it. Um, it will likely be an incredibly heavy um, focus on consumer activation. Uh, we believe this is likely a caregiver driven market. Um, there's very, you know, low risk to prescribing amongst our healthcare provider community, given the, the safety profile of Endeavor RX, uh, especially as compared to um, other products that are on the market today. So um, I think we have the opportunity to do quite a bit in the digital channel and really innovate on how to provide a premier um, caregiver, patient and healthcare provider 
uh, and even payer experience as we move forward. So it's really um, a, a, an app download. Uh, so mm-hmm. like, you know, you, one could imagine that, that a telemedicine tie-in, you know, w- would make sense. Yeah, absolutely. I think for that reason, and also because there are so many individuals that are part of a care team for a child who's experiencing ADHD. So, you know, typically um, a lot of these children are seeing cognitive behavioral therapists, right? Uh, Oftentimes those folks can't necessarily write prescriptions depending on the state that they're practicing in and how they're licensed. So how do we, you know, provide what I kind of call almost like a bat phone to some of those folks um, to be able to trial Uh, a a new entrant into the market that's a completely new modality that, again, has a a really, um, really compelling safety profile, Um, even if they can't uh, legally write a prescription, how do we hook them up um, with somebody who can so that they can, um, you know, support uh, their patient community uh, in getting folks on trial for for, um, EndeavorX? And and in the past, um, Achille, has uh, sort of eschewed, uh, if you will, uh, partnering with with bigger pharma companies uh, mm-hmm. on, on a commercial basis. Um, so suffice it to say that sort of go it alone type of approach will continue here. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, I think, you know, we're always um, having conversations about strategic partnerships, but I don't think that there's necessarily a um, a desire to seek out an existing commercial organization um, to partner with. Uh, primarily because we're trying to do things differently, right? And there's not a lot of organizations out there that are trying to be disruptive in the commercial space. Um, a lot of larger organizations in pharma tend to play it a bit more safe. Uh, they stick with the things that they've seen work in the past, and they're slower to adjust and change uh, based on 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 the market. And I think for us, that's not how how we believe we'll be successful, right? We believe that that reimagining this this commercial model in the therapeutic space is how. Um, Achille will change the game in medicine. And, uh, and that's why I think while we explore partnerships consistently across, you know, all sorts of arenas um, and assess those, I think uh, from a commercial perspective, it's, it's not necessarily something that we're seeking to do at this time. Yeah, and we saw at least one of the big storylines of 2019 was that several pharma companies were kind of stepping back mm-hmm. from um, DTX partnerships that they had established. So, you know, why why wouldn't you, you know, continue that independent course now? So, yeah, um, yeah because they don't fit into the same model, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's exactly it. Those who've those who've um, tried from the larger pharmaceutical side of things to really invest in the space or or take it on have tried to plug it into a traditional pharma commercial model. And it's not, and that that's your proof point right there, right? That, that, that it's probably not successful if they're, uh, if they're backing right back out of it. So. Right. Right. Maybe, maybe it was the way they kind of viewed it as a, as a beyond the pill, but you know, yeah. beyond the pill uh, type of strategy <laughs> rather than, you know, for what it is DTX, yeah. you know? Absolutely. Um, so, uh, and you, you mentioned uh, payers earlier. How, how are those conversations going, you know, to the extent that you can share with us and how the, how the payer conversations around reimbursement are going? Absolutely. So, I, you know, I think the, the, the great thing about um, Achille and some of the early decisions that they made um, uh, before I joined um, was around kind of their pricing and contracting strategy. So they're not relying on payer coverage or we're not relying on payer coverage to grow volume. Um, so we've priced ourselves competitively. Uh, the out-of-pocket cost for caregivers, even before we have payer coverage, is incredibly reasonable. And we're seeing um, we're seeing incredibly low abandonment due to cost, which is uh, out of the gates a really positive thing to to see. Especially because we know that 
other digital therapeutics companies have struggled in this arena. So uh, we did not want it to be kind of a gating factor or a rate limiter for us from a commercial perspective out of the gates. Um, but I will tell you, you know, we're starting to have those conversations now. We've been having those conversations. And um, one of the things that's incredibly um, promising as it relates to bringing Endeavor RX to market is that, you know, this is a multi-billion dollar market, right? Um, but there are still indicators that the unmet need is tremendous, right? So for example, over a quarter of kids are considered not well controlled on their current treatment regimen today. That's that's a really, really big number, right? Um, we also see that it's it's not um, it's not what I would consider to be like sticky business, right? When when um, parents have uh, kids on different therapies, they tend to switch quite often. In fact, you know, we're seeing over half of parents switching, have, have switched or plan to switch medications um, or therapies or treatment regimens for, the, for their children. They're constantly seeking something better and different. Um, and I think Endeavor RX brings a, a new option to the market. And in talking to payers, um, you know, the safety profile is incredibly appealing. Um, and there's also a significant amount of kids due to side effects who can't tolerate stimulants. Um, so there are there are niches I think that we can plug into that that serve immediate needs for the payer uh, for the payer teams. One of the other things we were talking to the um, uh, to the chief medical officer of, of United uh, Health Group not too long ago, and he absolutely validated these these unmet needs for sure. But he also introduced another um, item into the mix, which of course is not necessarily validated, or there's not you know concrete data to prove any of this, but. He, he mentioned the opioid crisis, right? And the fact that there is speculation that stimulant use in you know, kids with ADHD could be fueling future challenges in addiction. Now, again, who knows? I mean, I, I don't think that anybody's done any sort of longitudinal study that could indicate and validate that perspective, but it is a perspective of you know, a payer community, somebody who's, who's basically in charge of quite a bit in, in, a, in, in the, you know, one of the largest payers in, in the US. So um, I think there's, uh, there's certainly promising initial conversations and we plan to continue a lot of that and really in approaching it from a multitude of ways, right? There's federal legislation, um, the Digital Therapeutics Partnership uh, is working together on that. Um, there's, of course, the commercial coverage side of things. And then there's, you know, Medicaid. Uh, there's a significant Medicaid population in the ADHD market, uh, you know, 30, about 35 to 38%. Um, so that's another avenue that we'll be tackling as well. So uh, lots of work to do there. But I think uh, the, the initial signs are incredibly promising. And the research we've done uh, and the conversations we've been having, uh, all signs point to uh, being able to secure that in, uh, in the next couple of years. It's amazing that uh, the director um, uh, you know, cited that uh, yeah. linkage. Um, yeah. Can you just uh, share with us the, the price and, and do you position this to HCPs as an add-on to therapy or standalone or both? Yeah, so within our label, um, it's, a, it's to be used as a part of a treatment regimen. It doesn't uh, necessarily indicate what that treatment regimen is. Um, so it's not necessarily a replacement for, uh, for existing therapies. I think it is another option to be explored as a part of kind of that holistic end-to-end um, -end, uh, therapeutic protocol that a healthcare provider would consider uh, for a patient in this space. Um, we, uh, we have uh, come to market with a 450 list price, um, but the, um, there is uh, an opportunity uh, net right now, since we don't have payer coverage yet uh, to any broad extent, 
uh, to mark that down for cash patients to less than $100 per month uh, for uh, a three-month uh, course of therapy. So that 450 is for three months as a list price. Uh, did you offer any uh, kind of copay support at the pharmacy level? So to speak, uh, we don't need to yet just because we have our cash price of the under 100 under 100 per month, uh, which is a markdown from list. But um, we also have a PAP program. So patient assistance for those who qualify from a financial perspective, uh, just knowing the market and the dynamics and the breakdown there. Uh, that was incredibly important for us to to do as well for for the medical community. Um, but of course, once we begin to secure payer coverage, we'll be exploring, you know, copay programs and how we can, you know, increase access and reduce out-of-pocket burden for, for our community. How has COVID-19 kind of redefined value in healthcare and in the ADHD, ADHD space? And I asked that also because when I did the earlier story on the soft launch uh, of Endeavor, which you can read about on our site as well, your director of, of, of payer relations had put it to me that during the pandemic, and an online, you know, remote tool such as this, or, or, or modalities such as this, really be tra- transformed from a nice to have to a must have yeah. because a lot of patients obviously couldn't get to to their specialist, to their uh, to their doctor. So, you know, talk about how it's how it's redefined value in healthcare and in and in this therapeutic space. Yeah, absolutely. I think that th- those are all great points, and I would agree with them wholeheartedly. Right? I mean, the the opportunity to be able to treat uh, at home. Um, especially during, uh, you know, the midst of a global pandemic, um, you know, cognitive behavioral therapy uh, and being able to participate in, the, in, in maybe even after school programs that are indicated to or, or that are positioned to kind of help kids who are who, um, you know, have have challenges with ADHD, all of those things, right, potentially a window or, or change dramatically. So having a therapy um, that a child can can partake in at home, I think absolutely critical. I think the other piece, though, that I would I would introduce into the conversation is that the majority of parents are really, you know, concerned with the higher order of um, of the impact of ADHD. Um, impact on academics, impact on um on uh, future kind of career opportunities, et cetera. And I think that, you know, we've seen, right, that learning, like the typical learning environment has completely been thrown up in the air through virtual learning. And it's a challenging adjustment. It's an absolutely challenging adjustment. So I think the disruption of a typical routine um, or, you know, the ability to just have, you know, some structure to things, it's 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 gone right. So I think that disruption has led to um, treating ADHD specifically um, in attention uh, to be even more critical uh, than maybe it even was, you know, a year ago. So I think we've seen uh, definitely uh, that there is um, quite a bit of attention and interest uh, in alternatives and other uh, approaches to um, to treatment regimens given given all of those dynamics. Yes, absolutely. It's kind of um, drawn more attention to, to the need to pay more attention yeah. to, uh, you know, to this issue, to uh, attentional uh, deficits. As you've, you know, kind of been in the, in the role all, all of a month, uh, <laughs> you know, what, what would you say is the biggest difference between being a brand marketer and a chief marketing officer? Oh, oh so many things, right? I would probably, and, and, and the answer to this question is, uh, I could answer it two ways, right? The difference between being a brand marketer and a, and a chief marketing officer at a traditional organization, it's cool, right? It's, it's you know, you, you have more responsibility. You can, you know, dictate, um, 
you know, how we go about strategic brand planning and all sorts of things in, in that higher in that higher level role where you're overseeing a portfolio of products um, and, and kind of across the board, all of the marketing communications activities. I think the unique thing about Achille and the opportunity um, that was presented to me here and, and that I uh, am so thrilled about is that um, this is really an opportunity to build commercial from the ground up and reimagine that entire model. And for me, um, I kind of alluded to this earlier, the ability to um, really design, define, um, create uh, the ideal customer experience uh, from end to end, right? Whether that's uh, the distribution of your product at, at the pharmacy level, or it's you know how you bring people into the funnel, or it's how your you know how people are, are are having these customer facing conversations with the medical community. Having the ability to really um, oversee that and architect it and 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 realize a vision there is just so cool. So, so cool. So I would say that is the primary difference between uh, even even my uh, my previous roles in this one. And uh, and I couldn't be more excited about it. That's awesome. That's great to hear. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not sure a lot of people know this, but you were actually a sculptor, painter and creative writer who considered art school. So yeah. now I'm so glad to hear that you're you know channeling that talent toward creating the ideal customer experience. That's very yeah. cool. Yeah, absolutely. It's all come full circle, right? I never really oh. understood how I ended up in pharma until now, maybe. <laughs> it's, it's an art form in and of itself, isn't it? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So uh, it's really been a pleasure talking to you, Megan. I want to congratulate you um, on behalf of all our readers uh, on this uh, wonderful new opportunity. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me, Mark. Sure, sure. And again, uh, you can read about, uh, you know, the soft launch of Endeavor on the site, as well as Megan's comments about telemedicine. If you enjoy this podcast as much as I did, uh, everybody out there, please like it. Uh, subscribe to this podcast, help others discover the show. Um, and uh, that'll do it for another episode of the Marketers at Home podcast. Megan, thank you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much, Mark. Same. You got it. Great. And uh, everybody out there, thanks again for uh, joining us. And we'll see you next time on the uh, Marketers at Home podcast. Take care, everyone.